Let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to Netflix vs. Cinema, the podcast that after speaking about Mads Mikkelsen last week and thinking that, oh, maybe in the four, in the upcoming films, that welcome Harry Potter movies, he might actually, like, you know, reduce his quality rate. And then seeing the trailer for that is going, oh, Mads might do it. <laughs> Mads, he might do it. Anyway, my name is Toasted. I am the host and the Mads, the resident Mads Mikkelsen expert is Sharon. Hello. Joining me from the Isle of Wight today. So Sharon, I'm not sure if you have seen the um the trailer for the Secrets of Dumbledore, the new Fantastic Beasts movie with with that has all of like three seconds no, of Mads Mickelson. Yeah, it has all of three seconds of Mads Mickelson in it. And already you're looking at him going, Yeah, this could work. <laughs> but, I might check that out then. Yeah, Just, it's like, know, like, for, for research purposes, of course. Oh yeah, total research purposes. It's like Mads Mikkelsen bring us some of that Hannibal energy. This this actually could work. Um, so what we do on this show, you might have looked at the title and said, "What on earth does that mean?" Netflix versus cinema, or how do you actually go about that whole thing? How do we pit them against each other? We go to the cinema and we watch a couple of things. We go to the we go by home and we watch a couple of things at home. We rate everything out of five, and then we at the end of the day we see who has gotten more stars. Has it been Netflix or has it been cinema? Uh, who has given us more or more bang for our buck? So, uh, I mean, Sharon, I've done this for the last couple of weeks where I've essentially taken the 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 big film, even once when I took it right off your plate, when I took House of Gucci off your plate and said, "Mine, I'll have that," but. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, I think I'm going to have to do it again. I think that there is a film that is definitely the big film that's out in cinemas right now that has just been released that everybody is talking about and that we need to talk about. So, um, and that's a film that I went to see. I went to see it last night at 10, 20, no, 10 o'clock last night. And that is Spider-Man No Way Home, the 20-something film in the MCU. But, um, and the, but the, third, the third Tom Holland starring Spider-Man solo movie. Uh, so yeah, I went to see that, and at home I'm going to talk about a documentary series called Bad Sport. Um, how about you? What have you seen in in both Netflix and cinema? At the cinema, I went to see uh, Steven Spielberg's latest film, A West Side Story. Yes, yes. The, um, I don't know how you would call it because the re would you say it was a reimagining? Because it's not that different to the original film. It's just had some more sensitive casting. I'll just call it. I'll just call it an adaptation. It's an adaptation of the stage. Of a, show. Mus- a stage musical. So yeah, yeah, the latest version of the stage musical um, on screen, West Side Story. And then on Amazon, I saw a Guy Ritchie film with starring Jason Statham called Wrath of Man. Yeah, that a musical in its own right. So, <laughs> so like, it's like the the Jason Statham film is a musical in its own right. Without instead of musical numbers, we have punch ups and shoot ups. There's a certain poet, sort of balletic quality to some of the action films. I, I think. yeah, I I I have to admit, I do think that I do think that with with like joking aside, I think that there is actually a bit of a poetry to a good action movie, and Jason Statham is one of the best proponents of that today. 
I think yeah. I, I actually think Jason Statham is one of the best proponents of we're going to have an action movie it's going to be lean it's going to be hard muscles and people are going to punch each other without saying much they're going to talk <laughs> with their fists I yeah. think he's I think he's one of the best proponents of that today so shall we kick off with Spider-Man Far From Home no No Way Home because, <laughs> because this is Far the From th- No Way Home no matter that was quite right <laughs> Far From Nowhere Homecoming sick <laughs> <laughs> So, no, because that's what they've done. I mean, I do quite like. I like the fact because obviously the fact that you had or when Spider Man was made into a film with like you know the Sam Raimi movies all the way back in the early two thousands and uh, that you had like Spider Man one, two, three, and they had the Amazing Spider Man one, two, and I love the fact that um Marvel just went no, nah, we're just gonna. I think the first one when they call it Homecoming because there is this whole extra theme between who owns Spider Man or is it Marvel or is it Sony because they sold the rights to Sony ages ago when Marvel was in trouble before Marvel Studios really took off with Iron Man and and before Marvel became the Marvel that we know today. And so there was this whole thing where they didn't have um, ownership of Spider Man, and that's why we have. Uh, all the, but I love the fact that when they came in, there was actually it was called Homecoming, and there were so many different layers to the title Homecoming that it's like it's Spider Man coming home to Marvel. It's all that kind of stuff. It was based around a Homecoming dance, and the the and I love what they've done with them. I've loved what they've done with them. But let me start talking about Spider Man No Way Home. I also love the the really weird thing that they all have home in the title somehow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they they actually did a lot of jokes with that where obviously the three leads of the film are Tom Holland, Zendaya, and Jacob Batalon, and they they had a bit where for for three days in a row, each one of them on the Instagram account tweeted. New exclusive. We're gonna let you know what the new name of the new Spider-Man movie is. And one of them was like, "It's Spider-Man Home Slice." <laughs> and they and they just sort of joked that they had this whole oh, I remember there was there was a show that they had where they had this whole board that had all the brainstorm ideas of what they were going to call the new Spider-Man movie. It was like Spider-Man. There's no place like home. Spider-Man. <laughs> and but this one, it's no way home. They settled on no way home. And. This film, I saw it last night, and there's many, very many times when it put a smile on my face. It It is a very good film. And I will try and be succinct. I will try, <laughs> I will try and encapsulate this thing, but I may just go all over the place. Please try and stick with me. And I will try and do all this without giving you any spoilers. Because this is a film that made that inspired me to come out of the cinema. And the first thing I put on Twitter and on um, Facebook was... Go see this film before some mean, uncaring person on the internet spoils it for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it happens too yeah. many times. I mean, already apparently, I read in a message and a story that Sony are actually going through the internet trying to trying to stamp out Spider-Man spoilers because there is so much that happens in this film. So much that happens in this film. I mean, beforehand, the director John Watts he just he referred to it as Spider-Man Endgame. So, like jokingly referred to a Spider-Man Endgame, and I can kind of see where he was getting at because you know how there's so many moments that happen in Endgame, and there's things that happen in Endgame that are like, is that fan service? Is it great storytelling? I don't know. I just love it. <laughs> and there's <laughs> and there's loads of things like that in this film that happen that you're like, ooh, is it great storytelling or not? Uh, there are there. If you've seen the trailer, it should come as no surprise to you. And and, and talking about this film, you you kind of have to spoil the ending of the previous Spider-Man movie. So if you haven't seen Spider-Man: Far From Home, the premise of this movie is a spoiler about that film. Right. But, but by the end of that film, essentially, it is revealed that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And this film kicks off 
with everybody knowing Peter Parker as Spider-Man and people having differing reactions to that. So there's people who think Peter Parker is Spider-Man and he's a menace and he killed Mysterio and Mysterio was actually like, you know, the real hero and Spider-Man's the bad guy. And then, and there's people who are kind of like, oh no, no, Spider-Man, oh Peter Parker, you're great, you're amazing. And his school is like, oh my God, Spider-Man comes to our school. And they make a whole advertising campaign of how Spider-Man goes to the school and they have like a Spider-Man shrine in the school done by the principals. And there's this whole thing, the fact that you have, you know how it is that nowadays when there's truth and there's alternative facts in, in inverted commas and they they have this whole play on the truth of what actually happened and how it, as much no matter how much he tries to tell people what actually happened it doesn't really matter because people have their own alternative facts and they want to believe what they want to believe and so it's it it and the idea is that spider-man goes to dr strange and he says look ever since people found out that i'm peter that peter parker is spider-man my life has been hell all the people I love, their life has been held because associated with me. Is there some sort of spell that you can come up with? You're a magician. You're a sorcerer. Could you? Is there some sort of spell you can come up with that will make people forget that I am Spider-Man? And Doctor Strange, be in his reckless way, is like, yeah, sure, we could totally do that. And so Doctor Strange starts coming up with this spell to make the world forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And when he, uh, but when he starts, he doesn't explain it to, to Peter Parker to begin with. And he just starts doing the spell. And he says, right, that's it. Everybody's going to forget your Spider-Man. He's like, wait, including my, my aunt? No, but I want her to know. I, I, want, I, I want her to know that I'm Spider-Man. And, and he keeps interrupting the spell to go, oh, what about my friend? Oh, what about my girlfriend? What about... <laughs> and in the end, the spell becomes so unwieldy that Dr. Strange just has to shut it down and close it off and go, nope, sorry, we're not doing it. And... So, uh, it's but the way it's done i think one of the things i really like about this version of spider-man tomorrow's version of spider-man is that he is a kid they never shy away from the fact that he is a kid so he is a he's precocious as a kid is he's annoying like a kid is and he makes mistake like a kid does that has that have consequences that he doesn't see that he doesn't see coming that he's been warned about but he still does it because he's just tr- in his way he's just trying to do the right thing and i think that that's what and so when he interrupts the when he interrupts this this is where we have the multiverse the whole multiverse thing and anybody who's listened to the show and sharon you've been listening to me and you know how yeah. averse i am to the multiverse and how i think it is the beginning of bad a uh, beginning of the end and how i think it's the beginning of bad storytelling and there are elements of this where I think, okay, this is where it's beginning to eat itself. There are elements of it where I still think that. But my God, Marvel know how to tell a story. They know how to make it actually work and how to actually put it into the story so that it makes sense why that would happen. It makes sense why this... Even when even when uh, Peter Parker makes a big decision in this film, which at the core of it goes to who, the core of who Spider-Man is, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is trying to help. And you can see him as like a puppy dog who is just really, really trying to help <laughs> and is wetting the bed. And even when he's making that decision and you can see that there's going to be bad consequences that are going to come from this decision, you can still believe that he would do it. And they still manage to make a way to find a way to make it believable. So, I mean, in this film, you already know that Alfred Molina, if you've seen the trailer, Alfred Molina's in this yeah. film. Alfred Molina previously was in the second Tobey Maguire, um, the second Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie as Dr. Octopus. You know he's in this film. You know William Dafoe's in this film. And so there is this sort of like break it. So this is, this is a, a bit where Marvel have almost stopped making films. They started telling stories that are about themselves. So this film is almost a meta-commentary 
on the fight for who owns Spider-Man between Sony and Marvel. <laughs> there, there's, there's, there's a reading of this film in which this film is more about that than it is about anything that's actually happening within the MCU. But it's so, so elegantly handled. The first there's hour... A, sorry? There's a scene in the trailer, isn't it, where... Is it um, Doc Octo... Whatever his name Do, is, Doc yeah, Doctor Octopus. Yeah. Says, you're not a Spider-Man. Because he, obviously... He's not his Spider-Man. Yeah, he's, yeah. He, he's he's like so you're not. Quite he's like, cleverly done. He looks like him. He's like you're not Peter it's Parker. Really cleverly done. Yeah, and, and I think that it's very cleverly done. It's very elegantly done. The first hour of this film zooms by, and I'm just kind of like, oh my god, because the last time we had a Spider-Man multiverse thing was Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, which mm-hmm. is just genius. And I was really worried that you wouldn't be able to match that because this is live action. This is live action, and you really can't match what you can do in animation and live action. But the first hour of this film zooms by, and you're like, oh my god, this is amazing, this is great, this is ah! And it slows down a bit, it sags a little bit in the middle before it picks up again towards the end. And it manages to say a whole bunch of philosophical things about what it means to be Spider Man. And you might remember years ago, me talking about how when I was growing up in Nigeria, we loved Spider Man because he was a suffer head, he was a suffer like we could relate to him because his life never seemed to go well. <laughs> and, and and there's there's elements of that in this and the characters that they bring in from the other spider-man movies that have already pre-existed and the way they explain how they are there and what happens i think is i think is just really really well done and the cameos there's one cameo one cameo that is not one of the ones you will expect he's not in any of the trailers and he shows up in the film and when he showed up in the film i punched the air i actually i was like oh my god yes yay <laughs> You I, had your Moshe moment. <laughs> oh, no, honestly, oh, yeah, yeah, essentially, I was like, oh, shit, oh, my God. This, oh, what, what are these guys doing? Oh, what does this mean? What does this mean? It was, uh, so, yeah, um, I'm a Marvel fan. I still don't like the multiverse. I can see elements of this where it's beginning to eat itself because now we're getting stories about, that are kind of almost about the movie-making industry, not so much about, they're about both. They're about the movie-making industry and they're about the characters themselves. But with this and the new Doctor Strange movie, we're, we're having a story where essentially the hero creates their own problem that needs to be solved. It's almost like the hero creates their own villain and then has to go and solve it as opposed to this villain, about, as opposed to this origin story for the yeah, villain and everything. Yeah, villain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I really like this. I really <laughs> like this. There were so many times I had a massive grin on my face. And the... If I had to give it a star rating, I think I would have to give it. I would have to give it a four because I do think it sags a bit in the in the middle. Yeah, I, I do think it sags a bit in the middle. I know that there's people who give it a five, and I totally understand that. I do not argue with that. But but there's bits where I think it sags a bit in the middle. I think it's there's some scenes where because with Marvel movies sometimes the scenes where characters are just talking almost as much fun as the scenes where they're punching everything up and destroying huge swathes of real estate and uh, and there some of the scenes where they're talking that don't quite work but there's some of them that just totally sink where you're like i love this more of these characters in a room talking please this is amazing so this is i think ever since endgame this is the first marvel movie that i've gone right i see where they're going with this they've got it and and in typical or how there's many different layers to the whole homecoming and everything like that there's many different layers to the idea of no way home so what i thought no way home was going to mean before before i watched this film totally different to to what i thought when i watched i was like oh that's what they mean by no way home that's what they mean by no way home so yeah it's, it's really good 
love it love what they're doing love how they're bringing everybody together love what kevin feige is and i just love the fact that they've built this world that makes sense and i will keep talking for the entire hour if i didn't stop and <laughs> just say yeah for uh, i mean okay one more thing four more stars thing. that sounds good though that sounds yeah, good. yeah yeah okay one more thing one more thing so i've been watching the hawkeye show on disney plus and in Hawkeye, I think Sharon, you would love this because there's a bit in Disney Plus in the Hawkeye show where Hawkeye goes to New York and he goes to Broadway to watch Rogers the musical, which is a musical about, about, Cap- about Captain okay, America. Right. <laughs> and it's and it's it's little things like the fact like there's a bit where Spider Man is swinging through New York and obviously New York that's where Broadway is and you can actually see in the background there's a Rogers the musical billboard and i'm just kind of like is those kind of touches that make me think yes <laughs> they joined up those dots yeah yeah i'm yeah. like yes i love this thing it's like the comics come to life and i will shut up now and let us go <laughs> on to something else so we are going to go over to what sharon saw on netflix and talk about netflix and friends first of all any questions about spider-man no way home no that do I- you I, i'll take it because you you to appreciate it, you need to have seen the previous Spider-Man films. Yes. Do you need to be be conversant with the whole of the MCU universe? Because I think that was a redundant universe. But do you have to be familiar with the canon to really appreciate it? Uh, there's a couple of things you need to know. You need to know what happened in Endgame. And yep. what has, yeah, you need to know what happened in Endgame and what has led to this world. You need to they there's there's bits where they do little bits of recap, but I think you need to know what's happened in the in the Tom Holland Spider Man movies, and you need to be aware that there have been previous Spider Man movies. I think that's about it. You need to be aware that there've been previous Spider Man movies. Yeah. Um, I think if you weren't aware of that, you would watch the film of and by the. By watching the film, you would you would become aware of the fact that they are previous Spider-Man movies. Yeah, there's other things so, out there. Yeah, so so I think that's about yeah. it. But I would say I'll say go go watch it if you're. And I think for anybody who was a Spider-Man fan growing up, you would they have this. to. It's essential, yeah. Because well, some of these um the films where the the canon has become so big now. Yeah. I worry if I've missed an installment that I've lost something vital. <laughs> and yeah. I think, can I watch this because I haven't actually caught up with all of the the television series like i haven't seen loki yet and i've not watched hawkeye yet and i haven't seen the is it san chi so i'm thinking yeah, oh, i feel like i'm lagging behind and i've got a lot of catching up to do before i can <laughs> well, get back that... in the saddle with the mcu so part of me thinks no worries that there's such a, a, a wealth of 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 sort of film and television now to sort of plow through that i worry that that if I miss a bit of it, that it's, it's going to sort of take something away from my enjoyment of the whole. Yeah, I just get around that by not missing anything. But I see what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just, I'm just kind of like, I'm like, yeah, I actually, you know, I actually worry about about reviewing Marvel stuff now because I feel like, essentially, with them, I'm like, okay, they've gone to the stage that whatever they make, they will have my money because yeah. <laughs> they they will have my money because I'm just, so I'm. I hope that I can still be objective and say things like it lags a little bit in the middle, but I'm just kind of like, these guys know yeah, what they're yeah. doing. They can and do I know, it. Yeah, and I know that Sony are always trying to threaten to take Spider-Man away from Marvel, but for Sony's good, 
if Sony want to make money off Spider-Man, they should just leave him where he is with Marvel. Yeah, because if people see this, they may think, actually, I might go check out those uh, the early Tobey Maguire's because there's going to be a generation yeah. who've never yeah. seen them because we tend to forget, you know, because we can look back on our, you know, we're over 21, both of us, and we yeah. can we, we remember seeing these things. But then there's a generation of people who are 20 now who have never would have seen Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah, but also I just don't think Sony can do as good a job at Spider-Man as Marvel do. Marvel know exactly what the hell they are doing. They know what they've got, yeah. And, Even the and, fact that when he started off, he had like the hoodie and he had like the mask. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a homemade outfit and it looked like a homemade outfit. Whereas in the past, they've suddenly produced these sort of leotards. Yes. And <laughs> um, knocked up in their sort of bedroom and you think, yeah. <laughs> yes. I don't know yes. how many teenage boys you know, but I don't think their sewing skills are up to that. <laughs> yeah, yes. All right, cool. Uh, and before I give any spoilers, I'm going to shut up and move on. And we're going to talk about Sharon and what you have seen <laughs> at home. And so you mentioned Wrath of Man. This yes. is so Guy Ritchie directed, Jason Statham starring, bam, 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 kiss, kiss, bang, bang. So tell yes. us, what is this all about? This is about. Um, about a man played by mm -hmm. Jason Statham who uh, gets a job at a security firm about two months after the security firm have been involved in a holdup where their their main job is to transport cash from the shops and retailers and and they basically transport it in bulk from these retailers they hold it in their storage wagons they're like a security if you're british yep. and then they they then take it to the banks but they're like this the bed that like the sort of the the escorts for this this huge sums of money yep. and one of the vans was held up and uh two of the security guards and a member of the public were killed in this raid and so they he had this Jason Statham's character has come in to work for this firm when they're like basically still reeling in shock from this this big hold up. Yeah. And so everyone who gets employed with them has to go through certain sort of skill tests. They have to be sort of able to handle themselves with weapons. They need to be able to um, handle themselves in a crisis. They sort of have all these different skill tests and you have to score a minimum of like 70 percent in order to be employed. And if you have a background in security or background in any sort of police then you have a bit of an advantage and so Jason Statham's character is a man who has had a previous experience in security so he gets a job there saying like I know what the risks are and then on a drive one day when he's not on a job they get held up yep and instead of um sort of responding as just the, as a sort of a civilian would he basically turns into a different mode and he basically is able to basically wipe out the entire gang of people who hold up their truck. And then suddenly from being like a bit of an ordinary guy who sort of like just fits in with the rest, he suddenly has a man with extraordinary skills Ooh. and not expected. His sort of ability to shoot, he's able to hand himself in a crisis, is not panicking when the bullets are flying, um, yeah. sets him a little bit apart. And then as the story unfolds, we begin to understand that there's more to Jason Statham's character than meets the eye. And that he has got a background, he's got a history, and then he has got a reason for being where he is. Yep. And as the story unfolds, all the different strands that you think are disconnected become maybe not so disconnected after all. 
And as Guy Ritchie likes to do, you know, all these things come together in a bit of an explosive um, <laughs> event at the end. <laughs> well, I you see that, Guy Ritchie, when you, when you mentioned that, I always, I still remember the the scene in Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels that sets to the music of Zoba the Greek that just has like all these different people converging. And I still think that that's one of my favorite sort of like things of that, mo that So yeah, so yeah, so guy so yeah with this i've seen the trailer for this and yes so, I look at, and i thought this looks like it could be fun then <laughs> it's a fun film yeah and so unlike his other guy richie other films it's, it's set in america though jason statham keeps his own accent so he has got a a, a sort of english an english british accent in it so he just sound like this because States. yeah because he's tried doing the american before and it didn't always and it always that. sounds a bit like the states doing an american <laughs> accent and so trying to do one yeah. and there's a little bit where he tries to do the old banter you know in a lot of his films there's a little bit of the old poor blimey governor um banter going on and it yeah. doesn't quite work when you've got an american characters doing it that sort of repartee didn't quite work yeah because you know they're not london geezers they're yeah. people who they've got there so that is a quite there's like a type of the london geezer and i think we've probably met them <laughs> I've certainly met them in my life and so there is a type and I think yeah someone who's American just is not that type I mean they may have the equivalent but it did for me that that whole trying it, to get it, that geezer bit in there didn't quite work for me well it, it kind of it kind of grates yeah because I suddenly like... thought this does not sound like your natural speech patterns these sound like the sort of exchanges that have been introduced for the sake of a bit of humor a little bit of banter yeah whereas obviously good storytelling it's the words that come out of the actor's mouth are supposed to feel spontaneous like this is how they would talk because yeah. you, know, you just but when when it feels slightly affected you think no no no, i don't think you would say that in that circumstance mm. in that yeah. way that does not fit in with your cultural milieu it just doesn't yeah. work yeah so every now and then something i'll be like going no oh, You've, that's a Guy Ritchieism you've thrown in there to make it more recognisably a Guy Ritchie film, but it's not true for those characters. Okay. But besides that, it's a bit of a romp. I mean, you know what you're getting with a Jason Statham film. He is going to beat someone mercilessly, and he's probably going to shoot people really casually. <laughs> and he's going to display his particular set of skills in a Stath sort of way. <laughs> and and, and one-liner. Yeah, and probably, probably have a scene with his shirt off. Uh, don't did he have a I can't remember that. Yeah, because I think I think I think it gets you get to see Stace with his shirt off, but it isn't as notable as let's say when Chris Hemsworth has his shirt off. Yeah. It's or as Matthew McConaughey used to have it with his shirt off all the time. He used to do the whole mm, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, um, I don't yeah. think it's quite that. I'm, I'm, I'm I don't think I remember him in a state of undress in this. All right. Okay. He's branching out. Cool, good stuff. Yeah. So, so what? So with all that, possibly you, there, no, no, I don't think there was. So, so with 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 all that, um, what would you so what would you say about it? Like, how many stars would you give it? I would certainly say it was certainly entertaining. So I would go with uh, a respectful three. I think oh. it's it, it 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 was good. It was entertaining. It's worth a watch. Um, it's good to see some of the characters, the actors we know in, in some other roles, sort of maybe sort of subverting that a little bit. Because some people who've always been like 
the good, wholesome, you know, we're all American. Um, suddenly a little bit nasty in this, which is quite nice to see. Ooh. So there's a few, so it's not as predictable as you'd think. And yeah, the, the, the twists and turns in it are very, very, very good. Some of them improbable, but still entertaining. So I'd say, yeah, it was to me, it was completely entertaining. Um, but I couldn't say it was elevated into an art form or anything to make it more. more. So I would say it's nothing. It was a good, healthy, respectable a three. I, I, I think that's what I don't because what I think I don't think that you want any more than that for an action film. For an no, action you movie, don't. you're like, yeah, a three. Good, you've done it now. You've done it, yeah. I'll, I'll put you, I'll, I'll watch you kill a whole bunch of people and not think about it and, and then move on to the next thing. All right, yeah, cool. Exactly. So, and now we get on to the big one. Well, th this is the one that I really want to see what it is that you think about. So this is Steven Spielberg doing West Side Story and in any other week, and this tells you the nature of the film world now, if it hadn't been for a Marvel movie, this would be the number one movie we'd be talking about this week. But Marvel have gone so big that even Steven Spielberg, please sit down there, take a back seat, and while we talk about this other film, until you direct the Marvel movie, which I cannot imagine ever happening. <laughs> but, so, and um, yes, West Side Story. Sharon, tell West us. West Side Story. Yes, it's the latest, well, it has been the latest, we've only had one before, but it is a latest sort of screen, um, stage to screen adaption of a Broadway musical. Yes. So I suppose it's in, in the tradition of stage to screen musicals that have been around for 70 years that we've seen come to the screen. And so this is, I think, only slightly different in the fact that it's been made into a film before. Most times when people adapt a stage musical to the cinema, um, it's for the first time, whereas yeah, you don't often that get them where they redo them. Yeah, unless you've got very many like musical Star remakes. Yeah. But I don't think the Star is Born was a stage musical. I think it was just a, it's a new story each time. It's remade for its own generation, yeah, so that's yeah. different. But I'm trying to think of any other musicals that have just been completely redone. I, and I, I honestly cannot think of any. I can't think of anything. Yeah, no, it, so Maybe it, it's a start of a trend that they may go, actually, let's go relook at Seven Brides for Seven Brothers or take something that yeah. might be problematical and say, let's, let's have a look at that. <laughs> and, uh, uh, it would take a brave, brave person to go to Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I mean, I, I, for, for curiosity's sake, I actually really want to see that. I really want to see somebody try and do a modern take of Seven Brides for Seven yeah, Brothers. But, but let's kidnap all these women. <laughs> but generally, just leave it. Even if you gender swapped it, it's still problematic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, cool. Sorry. That may not happen. So, yeah, seven, this uh, West Side Story. So, we know the story based on Romeo and Juliet, but introduced. They've kept the setting as in like the 1950s in New York, and they've broadened it out a little bit. So, kind of just like sort of rambling around like the streets. They said it particular into this one area where they were doing things called slum clearances, where sort of mid-century, it happened in London, it happened in lots of cities, well in London because of the bombing after the war, but in New York, basically they cleared a lot of the old tenements, the old slum areas to build shiny new high-rise buildings. Essentially gentrification. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it had the good things about it and because it, it, was, it was supposed to, improve the standards of living for the people who live there yeah. but, it, but it, what it turned into most often was just like slums higher up 
you've just ended up with high rise slums as opposed to sprawling across a large acreage, which is what happened you know, in other places like London. Anyway, aside from all that, so it's set squarely in this time frame of like the slum clearances, and there's this tension between second generation immigrants, i.e., they're Irish, they're Italian, they're Jewish, but are mainly from like a, a white European background, Polish. Yep. yep. They're, so they're second generation immigrants. And then you've suddenly got this first generation immigrants who are people who are coming from Latin America, from principally in this film, it's, it's Puerto Rico, but it also includes people like from Cuba, from other yeah. sort of that Latin American world. And so there's these tensions have developed between this sort of second generation immigrants and this sort of the newcomers. Yeah. And as happens in all these situations, it's like the people who've been there a little bit longer are like, hey, you can't come in and muscle in and watch her. So, well, when... All these foreigners coming over and taking our jobs. Exactly. Whereas <laughs> like the generation before, it's like their part, fathers were the ones going, oi, you can't bully us because we're newcomers. You were yeah. Dutch people. You were the one. Yeah, so this, it's like a generation. It just passed down through the generations. Yeah. Yeah. But, and so into this world, we then have this, the two gangs, and each generation, again, forms its own gang, like the Irish have given way to the Italians, have given way to these sort of like, you know, second generation white European from different yes. ethnic mixtures yeah. who form the Jets, yes. who are a gang. And they're up against principally this Latin American group of people, mainly Puerto Ricans, called the Sharks. And then the story progresses that you have a a member of the of the, the Jets who has tried to leave the gang life because of incidents in the past, Tony. He then meets the daughter, the sister of the leader of the Sharks, Bernardo Maria, and this meeting of these two young people then triggers uh, uh, a new wave of violence amongst yeah. this gang, and that's all set to music. So you people know the story, <laughs> and so. <laughs> You know the story. So the the, the, the music would be familiar with everyone, like When You're a Jet, um, I Feel Pretty, you know, Somewhere, America. Tonight, uh, tonight, tonight, it's in just, the air yeah. tonight. Maria, I just want to be So you've got the whole, we know all the music. And and so it does tell that story. Though I found it was interesting to do a, like a compare and contrast. Yes. And I am very familiar with the musical and the film yep. before. And so it's interesting to know how some of the songs are in a different sequence. So putting them in a different place in the film gives them a slightly different feel. Yep. And how they've tried to make it much grittier, how you can see that this sort of like the, the real enemy to both of these sets of people is poverty. Yeah. And how poverty can lead to a lack of inspiration, aspiration. For someone who's like second or third generation, unemployed, low income, no aspiration, that's just as demeaning as those people who work 30, 40 hours a week for a minimum wage job. Yeah. And they're still stuck in the same cycle of poverty. So you've got one hand, they're saying that why should we do those jobs for no benefit? And then it's like, we are working as hard as we possibly can to better ourselves to no real benefit you're still working 30 40 hours a job in the jobs that no one else wants to do so you've got the biggest enemies like poverty and so these gangs have more in common than they have that separates them but they just can't see it and it's sort of through these tragic events that you begin to say actually there's we have more in common than we have that that divides us so it's with all these musicals they have big themes big emotions big ideas um put to music 
Yeah, but this, so it seems like with this version of West Side Story, because obviously I think any, um, with any review of this film, it's going to be hard to take this film on its own merit. It's mostly yeah. going to devolve into a compare and contrast with yeah, the already well-known multi-Oscar winning version of the film that has already been made. Yeah. So it's, uh, so, so with that, it's, it's, would you say that with this one, they've upped the social commentary a bit more? Yeah. Okay, so I would say so. I don't think it's done in such an obvious way, but for someone who knows the original film again, a draft, it's yeah. Some of the songs are for comic effect, like Geoff's Crutchley, for example. Yeah. It's all for comic effect, and in this film, you it's, it has much more of a social commentary to it because of the way it's set, the way it's yeah. delivered, the circumstances around the way the song is done. It's not just a piece of comic. Um, like light relief in the film, it actually is quite. A, it is. It is actually quite a sad. Well, well, what do you think about the words of Officer Kropke? It is quite sad. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's and before I think in the first film it is really just just, just a comic relief, a light moment yeah. in, the, in yeah. the drama. Whereas in this, it's actually you listen to words, you think that is actually. Yeah, it's like we're no good. We're no good. We're just no good. We're just yeah. no earthly good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, or so okay. So obviously. You know the two of them, you know, and whenever we have a remake, I mean, there's, there's, there's some of us, like, for instance, with me, I'm the kind of person who loves the Blues Brothers, never saw the Blues Brothers 2000 because it was sacrilege to even think about doing that. Yeah. And if anybody ever tries to remake the Blues Brothers, I'm going to be like, you sacrilege, you burn it. Away from that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> burn it with fire. So, um, uh, how about you? So original, you're a big fan with this one. How would you, how do you look at them? Yeah. How, what's, I what's your feeling? And to me, it's not it doesn't quite have punch up to the weight of the original because there's something about the when those films are made, the the saturation of the colour. Even though I did always have issues with Natalie Wood, um, she was never because well, she obviously just mime her songs, and mm. obviously she's made up to look more Latin American than her actual. When history. she isn't, yeah. And so some of them, you think, yeah, there are issues, certainly issues with that, and the fact that you know. Some of the, the actors in the first film don't actually sing the songs. Whereas I believe in this one, they all have sung their own parts in the song. Yes. I mean, that's the big plus. And the fact that, yes, everyone, you know, they're about made up to look uh, you know, different to what they are ethnically is obviously something that is a is not a it is you miss the makes less uncomfortable viewing, shall we say. Yes. Because you can it can stray into caricature, even though they just may give someone like a dye their hair black. Yeah. Even so, you can find yourself straying into caricature by doing that, which is not what the film is supposed to be about. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just say, "Hey, we're all the same," when actually you've made. A lot we're of all we're all the same, but all of you people who actually are from that place, you're not allowed to be in the film. <laughs> yeah. So we're not going to have anyone actually from that ethnic background. Um, showing equality and like hey we're all like we can all love each other because you know it doesn't matter and then but actually we can't possibly have uh, yeah it's like know. we we're all the same we can all hang out and be fine with each other because we're all white but <laughs> we're just made up to look like we're not so there is there are certainly are issues i can see why people would be uncomfortable with some of those racial depictions now because you think why would you not cast someone who of the yeah, you know, yeah. It's it's, it's not as if you don't have access. It's not as if there's no people falling over themselves with talents to do that. But okay, yeah. but but okay. So 
that I agree with. And obviously, thank you very much for saying that, Sean, because then I didn't have to. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but when we talk about like the staging, we talk about the spectacle and all that, because that's what, because I do that's think that, yeah. I do think that there is a problem. And I think you raised that there is a problem with making a musical nowadays, because so much of what you think of when you think of a movie musical was was determined in the 50s and the colors and the saturation and the way the shots look and the fact that you can you can suspend your disbelief when people start singing is it's all set then and so when you try and do modern musicals there's something when it looks like real when it looks like it would do in our world there's something that just sort of like goes I don't see people walking down the road singing with coordinated choreographed dance numbers with music yeah. piping in from nowhere. It's there's there's something in there that's so there's a dissonance. Uh, yeah, and, 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 just and, go, yeah, yeah, that. It, but it, I think it, they walk that fine line quite well in this. There's a scene, but I think they're probably the biggest dance number, as it were, is um America. That'll be America, yeah. Because in the first film, I just heard the film. Um, it's all set on the rooftops, and it's a bit like, Wee -wee -wee, with yeah. lights, but it's literally very confined. It was in a very, it's off on a rooftop, so yeah. it's confined. This is like full on. We're going out into the streets, yeah. and then, and then you can't. But then the fact that you're sort of dancing and you're skipping about and you're doing your old sort of mambo moves and things, or samba moves. I'm not quite sure which. I'm not very good at my Latin dances. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, and then the people who are what who are in the streets turn and look, because in most musicals it's like unless you're actually part of the dance number you are deaf and blind to what's going on yeah this is just it. what happens every day this is just tuesday whereas this everyone's going they're all dancing and singing <laughs> <laughs> and so you do get crowd gathers so i thought that was quite a nice touch to recognize the fact that these are people who are dancing and skipping about in the street yes <laughs> and people who are just going about their business and suddenly going they're singing and dancing going on oh, but yes, oh. it's done i thought it's done very well all the right musical cool. was just done very well so, how many stars would we give this one? I would give it a four. Ooh. I would say it's, it's entertaining. I would worth. I would go and see it. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. My friend, I went with a friend, and she said, "Well, she felt a little bit droopy at the beginning. She was a bit like, oh, 'Oh, I'm not sure. I'm up for because it's a long film. It's nearly three hours long, I think, all told.' Yeah. And so she was a bit like, but she said, "Oh, I did pick up though, and it, once I got into it, it was fine. Because as soon as I started, I was like, right, come on, bring it on. I'm ready for this." spectacular oh. good <laughs> so, stuff good I stuff I, I, I like that i like that so I, I, i'm keen to see this i want to see what steven spielberg does with a does with a musical because he hasn't done one before and i hope because all right so obviously what we do we started doing this whole thing where we put our individual movie reviews up on um youtube so you can go into our youtube channel netflix cinema podcast and you can actually see the individual reviews of each one of this of each one of the films that we review and we had somebody or in your review of writers of justice last week we had okay. somebody who yeah who who watched it essentially people seem to really like your reviews sharon because your review of uh, the Bonfire of Destinies has yeah. now gone over a thousand views. Oh wow! <laughs> on, on YouTube, yep. And somebody came onto your review of Writers of Justice last week to pretty much tell me off for doing things. <laughs> There's a comment on there going, "Why are you walking around and like playing with your wires and like you know fiddling with that box in front of your face while you're doing this thing? You shouldn't do that." Blah 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 blah. blah. <laughs> oh, and, uh, bless him. And, and I'm just gonna take that. Uh, and uh, I'm just uh, I just said thank you for your interest in and for listening and for watching <laughs> because uh, I, 
Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that to mean that they loved your review so much that they got annoyed about the fact that I did not appear to be listening. So I apologize, Sharon. I apologize. Oh, well, I accept your apology, and I probably didn't. Like <laughs> yeah, tell I was them. Just thinking tell about them. It, it was just in my head. I obviously didn't. Yes, I knew. I knew I was only. I, I knew I wasn't even needed. <laughs> just had to leave Sharon and Mads. They don't have to be in the in same that room. <laughs> in in that box, in the Zoom box, <laughs> leave Sharon and Mads alone together. Oh, <laughs> all right, cool. And now we go to the final thing that we're going to talk about. This is a Netflix documentary series because I have started getting into Netflix documentary series or documentaries. Full stop. Because Netflix do some really good ones, and I think they've been putting money behind them because a they get a they seem to get a lot of attention and they cost a lot less than actually making the film so they this one is called bad sport and the whole idea behind it is that each episode of it focuses on a time when you had a scandal in sports it could have been financial it could have been something else and uh, for instance there's they talk about the um the winter olympics in salt lake city when there was a figure skating scandal between russia and the u.s was it was it usa or canada i think I think it was USA, where they had the they had the scandal between them as to how they, there was a judging scandal and it came out and it was kind of like oh we thought hang on how how did they get the gold medal they couldn't get the gold medal because that and there's there's a bit of that there's a bit about Hansi Cronier who was the South African cricket captain who got done for match fixing there's a bit about a racing driver who started his own team and he was like a really really good racing driver and everybody was wondering where did this team come from and then they found out the entire team was um was bankrolled by weed money because this guy was a massive weed smuggler who oh my goodness <laughs> who pretty much started <laughs> smuggling weed so he could pay for a racing team. money laundering yeah yeah <laughs> pretty pretty much it, it was kind of like it was, oh, oh hang on a second sorry so it was, and it's, it's essentially and you can see that the guy and so it's really interesting because it comes into the sort of intersection between where sports meets something bad because the whole idea behind that i mean even now in, it's in the public eye because um i'm not sure you might have heard stuff about f1 and about the f1 deciding yeah. wh which i was watching that live and i i still can't really talk about it at the moment <laughs> it's uh, it, uh, for me Too i look raw. at that uh, no, I look at that and I go, that was a miscarriage of justice. That was, it, essentially, it's made me feel like that sport is a joke. Like the integrity of that sport, of F1 as a sport for me, is is kind of in tatters at the moment, in in my personal view. So much so that I'm not thinking about watching it. And this, um, this um, TV show essentially looks at all those sort of moments where something has happened in the sport that essentially calls the integrity of the sport into question that makes you go what actually went on here sports supposed to be this ideal it's supposed to be this thing that we strive for it's supposed to be the purest form of who we are as humans you have them and you win and you lose on merits and all the and this this documentary series looks at what happens i mean i think the i think the title bad sport is quite uh quiet netflix what what is going on <laughs> what is going on so and i think i think i think at the title sorry stop playing the title yeah i think the title of bad sport obviously because that's like a saying when you say oh that's oh no bad sport he was a bad sport but also the fact that it just looks at when you have this thing that's supposed to be pure and then it gets corrupted by something else almost kind of like it, there's a bit of a way it looks at almost like looking at the human psyche and 
what about us a makes us crave for something that's so pure and unadulterated and what about us cannot let that pure and unadulterated thing just stay and destroy it so looking through the title looking through the names of the hoop schemes that's one about um, um college basketball in the in the states which is really really big business but none of the players get anything so Players at universities in America are not allowed to earn any money from playing basketball, but everybody else involved, the coaches, the TV show, make loads of money from college basketball. But the players, there's a rule where the players are not allowed to get paid. They get a scholarship to go to the university, fine, but day to day they don't get they don't get paid. And there was there, there was a really really interesting thing about a uh, a guy who was a great player was looked like it looks like he was set for the NBA, but came from a poor background and what that whole thing about not being paid did and drove him towards need for weed i've already spoken about football gate there's the one that's about um it was called the i think a calciopoli scandal in america in italy where they had ref, they had match fixing of of certain big clubs saying who they wanted the referees to be and it goes into it that that's almost that's almost like a mafia story i mean mm. sorry to use the lazy thing of mafia because it's italy and all that but yeah. it is it's it's kind of framed almost like a like we're, we're going into this investigation to try and bring down the mafia gold war yeah that is yeah it was canada it was canada the that's between russia and canada in the in the ice figure skating pairs the gold medal what happened there oh there's an episode just called horse hitman which horse hitman yeah horse hitman that racing and, yeah like racing horses racing oh. horses and it's all about somebody who was a horse hitman for insurance uh yeah yeah it's horrid. Uh, it, 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 it is horrid but some of these things it is it, it's eye-opening for the sports that it talks about there's things about this sport that if you're not into that sport you'll be like hang on a second i didn't know that wow no. and then you realize and then when it starts going into what actually drives people to do these things and, well, and when you start looking at how vast sums of money gets bet on these things i suppose yes. that introduces a different element doesn't it because it's not just about two equally matched competitors battling it out for honor yeah. when you start saying okay that we don't want to leave to chance what could cost me millions upon millions of dollars or millions or pounds yeah so as soon as you get that element of let's reduce the risk of losing our money you then start yes. getting the element of corruption don't you yeah yes you do but i i thought that i thought this was this was a brilliant series it was a brilliant yeah. series there's only like six episodes that have been made so far i'm pretty sure they're going to do a second series series uh and it just really just it just makes you go wow wow oh ooh, ooh, wow and that some of the things that are revealed in it i think are uh some of them are heartbreaking some of the um human interest stories are just affecting and some of the the scale of some of the corruption is just like wow <laughs> so all in all i would give bad sport a ooh. ooh you see now this this is a personal thing where personally <laughs> i think i would give it a five first wow well first, if it holds your attention and it's done yeah. in such a way and, and there's nothing about it and there's nothing about this series that, that the way they tell the story because i watched another documentary and i had so many notes so many notes that i would have written to the makers of the going oh, guys could you do that could you change that could you do that this isn't really clear but i mean this holds you takes you all the way through it and just and it spells it out very clearly why the sport was such a big deal and why what happened to 
to uh, to murky the sport was such a big deal as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and so I I think I think I would have to give it a five. <laughs> I think well, yeah, well I think I would have to give it about four to five. I, I was thinking I was thinking for other people it would be a four, but I'm thinking oh, it's supposed to be my own personal thing, and uh, I think it's a five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad sports are five. All right, cool. So all that's left to say is, what do we think, or who do we think has won this week, Sharon? Well, I think we're based on that five. Oh, I think it's a draw. I think it's a tie. It's a tie. It's a tie. <laughs> I, I actually wasn't. I wasn't actually expecting that until I started talking about bad sports. I was expecting that cinema has given such a good, steady four star week that I was like, yeah, cinema's got this one. Then I was like, well, actually, wait, no, no, bad, bad sport is really good. <laughs> bad sport is really good. So yes, that's it. It's a tie. So the real winners are us. Uh, us yay. the viewers yay yay for everybody everybody gets a present so yep so that's it oh and now I think this might be our final Netflix for the cinema of the year yes I think it might be yeah because let's see next week is next week is Christmas isn't it yeah um, it's 23rd next Thursday yeah 23rd next Thursday but So life gets busy before Christmas so no. Okay, we might have another one. We'll see. Sharon, Sharon and I will have to have a chat. At, oh, my God. Sean's going to do Christmas in Thailand. Yeah, because he's not coming back, is he? Yeah, he's going to do when Christmas he thought in Thailand. He was. Oh, well, I want to see Sean in a beach with a Christmas hat on. But um, but anyway, if we if Riding that happens... An <laughs> Riding an elephant. <laughs> in a Christmas hat on a beach in Thailand on Christmas Day. If that happens, we will let you know. We'll put pictures up. Until next week when we'll figure out what we're going to watch, even though... If we follow the usual things, there's been a Marvel movie that's been released, so that's nothing for the next two weeks. So <laughs> nothing until the new yeah, year. There's a few in the tweeny days between. It's like the King's Man, isn't there coming out? And oh yeah, that's true. What else is there? There's something else coming out. I thought, oh. Let's have a look. Ooh, Let's have now. a look. Uh, but it I'll was just... something. Yeah, there will be something. Let's have a look. Da, 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 da. So, in my local cinema that only does the big things, as you, as we all, as you know from hearing me complain and whinge yeah. about it, so yes, yeah, Spider Man's every. There's Clifford, the big red dog. Yeah, there is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. Yes, that is a thing. So Sharon, they they were showing Home Alone and Home Alone Two, and The Nightmare Before Christmas. Well, the fact that there isn't really anything new means that we might have the Marvel effect. We might have the... But anyway, until next week where we might watch something and bring it back to you. If not, Happy New Year. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. It's yes. a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. We will see you guys later. Bye. Bye.